I'll pray for you, you pray for me. I need you to survive. I check the news early in the morning. It's my Sunday habit. I curse prayed. I curse prayed as I saw another video of a fatal shooting of a black person by a police officer. It's been a long stretch of ongoing videos. It's been a long stretch of black parents worrying about whether they or their children will make it home safe each day. In the beginning, after the first six or so, I thought it might be like September 2010, that onslaught of all those gay teenagers that were committing suicide. And we saw their faces every day in the news. I wondered if it was going to be like that. It gets better was started. And then the media lost attention because I know still gay teens killed themselves before and after all of the attention. But oh, I hoped and I prayed. Then they just kept coming. For a long season, I waited for more information to emerge before offering anything more than prayers. Because I remembered the rule my mom taught me, believe little to none of what you hear and half of what you see. Someone's quoting it back to me right there. You know you had the same mom. <laughs> back to me. But it didn't stop. More videos were posted, and they seemed to keep happening between Saturday night and Sunday morning. Black Lives Matter emerged and grew. After a traffic stop, Sandra Bland died in her jail cell. And again, it was Sunday morning. And the curse prayer wasn't going to take it from my responsibility to give the greeting to you that morning from Reverend Vicki. She'd already done that enough, and it was my turn. So I named the dead again. It kept coming, and you see, our people were fearful, looking for safety, looking for hope, looking to not be invisible, to be silenced or overlooked. They were looking in the midst of grief and fear and pain simply to be named. Simply to be named. At least in church, they thought they'll see us. At least in church, they'll name us. I hoped maybe, maybe these videos could be like the fire hoses during the civil rights marches where new TVs brought that action right into people's homes, into people's homes where they didn't want to see. It's hard being the lone wolf, being the one who sits alone and feels the weight of the world on their shoulders. You see, the badge that I wear is heavy, not just because of its sheer weight, but because of the stories that it carries. There are so many things that I wish I could unsee, unsmell, unfeel, but that's just not possible. I get up every day and I put my badge on, not because I think it's cool or because I want to be in control, but because I took an oath to serve others and I want to help them in their worst of times.
Those are all great intentions. But here's the truth. I've woken up in the middle of the night, full of sweat and screaming, get the gun, only to open my eyes and realize it was just another nightmare. Another scene, another event that I had to relive. Post-traumatic stress disorder affects most first responders in different ways. See, we're not robots or superheroes, although some of my macho counterparts would like to believe so. We're humans. We cry, we bleed, we love just like everyone else. It would be naive to believe that when I've had to hold my gun and point it at somebody, praying that God would take care of the situation so that I didn't have to take that life, that it would not impact me. It would be naive to believe that when I've worked the scene with children, I didn't take my drive home with tears rolling down my cheeks, thinking of my own children. These times are real because people don't call the police when they're having a good day. I've seen it all. Gunshots, stab wounds, sexual assaults, robberies, car accidents, family violence, child abuse, and the list goes on. And I share these difficult images with you, not to make you sad or to make you feel bad for the police, but to give you a glimpse into what it means to be a police officer. What it means to walk out your door and kiss your family goodbye and pray that you make it home to them at the end of your shift. What it means to come into a church that you have found complete acceptance and love, but then to feel like it's the loneliest of all places. To wear this uniform and be a target so that everybody else can feel secure, only to hear about another death at the hands of a police officer, but never to hear that police officer's name. You see, because I've been there, in that moment of either it's you or me, and I have to get home because I made a promise to my family. I've been at that funeral for a fellow officer, listening to taps playing in the background. I've responded to my fellow officer's shot or hurt, and I promised my wife it won't be me. I sat with tears welling in my eyes as Reverend Troy and Reverend Vicki, week after week, mentioned many of the people who lost their lives, but never mentioned the officer and what they will experience what their family will experience, and what their colleagues will feel. And I wanted to scream out, what about me? So, today's forgiveness practice addresses our grievances, disappointments, criticisms, and upsets with the world at large. This includes the government, social systems, religious organizations, specific leaders, and the changing policies that affect the public in general and perhaps even ourselves. While we may not recognize how our judgments and criticisms about society at large affect our lives, and any upset held in consciousness, it needs to be forgiven. There are many things about the world and the people in it and how they live that are not to my taste or liking. Yet I respect people's right to choose, recognizing that things are changing quickly. The issue for me, and perhaps for many others, is how we address 
injustice and dislike without dissing other people and their basic human rights? How do we share our experiences, allow our voices to be heard, explore our differences in honorable and respectful ways? I guess it all boils down to this. How do we stop judging anyone in order to create a, a more productive change of the things that affect all of us? Because we can never really know what motivates other people. It's difficult to know for certain that their views, opinions, and behaviors are not valid based on what they know. History, experience, and exposure mold people, and people create the world we live in. If the world is a picture of the people in it, an honest look might reveal that the reactions we have to things and people give us more information about ourselves than we'd like to see. Perhaps if we really want to see change in the world and to find a common, sacred meeting place, we can practice forgiveness rather than againstness. With those tears welling in my eyes and the emotions of anger, sadness, despair, and loneliness, I reflected on what do I do? How do I continue to walk in these doors and sit in that pew every Sunday when I feel like the one place that was sacred and safe to me was no longer that? I was in a dark place. I was ready to walk away and never come back. And after much discussion and thought, even discussion with some of you, I was driven to reach out. I had to meet a meeting with Reverend Vicki and Reverend Troy, and I told them everything. And it was raw, and it was harsh, but it was real, and it was true. I explained how I felt and why I felt that way, and that if we're going to be a church that stands for social justice, we need to be all-inclusive. Regardless of if the officer was wrong, prejudiced, or profiling, Regardless of if the black person was wrong or provoked the officer or was innocent, we have to stand together for everyone. If we're going to name the person who died at the hands of the cop, we need to also name the cop. Because at the end of the day, we aren't called to judge. We don't get that luxury of deciding who was right and who was wrong. We're called to love regardless. When the tragedy at Pulse occurred, we came together and we prayed. We lit a candle for the man who did so much evil in taking all of those lives. That is what we do here. We love all, we pray for all, and we lift all up. So I sat there, and I poured my heart out, and I prayed that it would be okay. And I'm standing here because it was, because it is. I was met with love, support, and forgiveness and it reinforced why I call this place my church.
when Sam started sharing with us, I took a deep breath because I wanted to listen. I didn't want to have any shields up or defenses not to hear. So I took a deep breath so I could pay attention, and as I listened to her heart, I felt convicted. I inventoried my memory, and we had not been consistent in praying for all those affected. We had been lifting the dead when we knew their names, and that included some officers in Dallas and Baton Rouge and Officer Goforth here in Houston. But we also needed to be lifting the living, the survivors, both officers and their families, and those whose died families, everyone included. In all this, I still know that this is bigger than an officer's actions and video clips and the very real responses of, why does this keep happening to me, to my people? This is bigger than those things, those moments in time. This is true, people say. See what we experience. There's a larger thing. It's called systemic sin. And in our country, systemic sin rewards right now police departments with grants for specific kinds of drug arrests, which focus on minority communities. Systemic sin gives us racially out-of-proportion mass incarceration for nonviolent crimes. Systemic sin allows us to use coded language like drug war when at its inception it was created to keep black folk in their places. Systemic sin undoes the protections carefully placed in our Constitution by our leaders who had experienced unfair searches and seizures and intrusions into their homes and their lives by the British. But when Sam shared with me, it was her heart. It was not the system at that moment in time. It was the person. And it was the person that I was able to hear and listen to and know and feel convicted that we lift the prayers now all consistently for the dead, for the living, for the families, for the officers. We know the faces. It's hard to see the system. So although frustrated and angry about injustice towards people who look like me, I'm determined not to give up on forgiveness, nor will I forgive up on myself. For it is when we discover the little-known secret about any real forgiveness practice, which is forgiveness requires surrender. Surrender opens us to love. You see, surrender is a state of mind and being that opens not only our minds, but our hearts to divine revelation. Deeper than changing the mind or healing the heart, surrender eradicates the thoughts, the emotions, and the energies that keep frustration and anger in place. It was not until I surrendered to God, trusting that no matter what happens or does not happen, God will still demonstrate a way to love and to obtain justice. So I pray for forgiveness. 
Surrender freed me from the prison of we shoulda, I coulda, they woulda, and ushered me into a realization that when bad things happen, I still get to choose how I will react and how I will confront the injustice. Our lives are all about choices. The greatest gift of surrender was that it helped me to realize that it's arrogant of me not to forgive myself when God forgives me. And it's also harmful to my very soul not to forgive others when God forgives them. The weight of our way of living cannot continue to be borne on broken black bodies. The weight of our injustice cannot fully be borne by officers on the streets. We don't need to create more broken bodies the weight of sin, systemic or personal, has already been born. It has been born in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The weight has been taken already. Forgiveness has been offered already. either side. Know my family on either side, who I've grown to love and respect as leaders in my church. See, this is my church, along with all of you. And we have to understand there is no divide between us. There's no black versus blue or white versus black or any other color you want to input there. There's just a rainbow of beautiful colors. God has created us all with those, and we're called to embrace them together. God's gift to all of us is love. And love can only create itself. So today, I choose to give only love because love is all that I only want to receive. Forgiveness, Ayanna Vincent says, is the ultimate act of love. I forgive. I am forgiving. I am forgiven. I am forgivable. Amen. Amen.
If you'll look in your bulletins and on the screen, we have a response session for our sermon. Precious God of my life and being, it is my deepest and most heartfelt desire to be a better me today. I desire desire to to be be more of what and who you created me to be today. I desire to create a life and relationships that complement who you are in me. Today I set my hands to do your work. I allow my heart and mind to align with your will. And I come present to each moment, allowing all possibilities to unfold in a manner that honors you. Today I release all personal judgment and complaints, and I embrace the beauty and goodness of every person and experience. I give myself permission to do things differently. In a more loving way, I take authority and dominion over old habits and patterns so that I will awaken to a new way of thinking, being, and living. I forgive all things, people, and experiences of the past. I take a few moments each hour to offer gratitude to you for allowing a better me to emerge today. I lay weapons down. I open open my my heart heart to to peace peace today. I rest in thee today. Let it be, be, and so it is. Amen. Amen.